Welcome to the Service Department News Podcast, where we discuss all the latest news and developments from across the service department, apart hotel and extended stay sectors. So today I'm speaking with Stephen McCall, CEO of Eden Group. Stephen, you recently announced the rollout of your lock brand um, and your pipeline consists of 11 new properties across five countries, I think, by the end of 22. It's, it's pretty ambitious, but how has the timetable for those properties been affected by the pandemic? Yeah, it was an ambitious program. You're right, George. And um, I guess uh, we've seen some delays inevitably in some of our projects, but really we've managed to pull quite a lot of it back. The construction industry in most countries seems to have been quite resilient. So we're more or less on track a little bit behind, but we'll still see new openings for Locke in London and Cambridge, Dublin, uh, Munich, Berlin and Lisbon before the end of 22 and we're opening as I think you know um, in Bermondsey or we're opening Berman's Lock uh, next month actually so we'll be taking guests from the 10th so it's a little bit later than we like and there's been a lot of uncertainty around it and for sure <laughs> we're, we're all opening into quite an uncertain environment but um, not, not quite not, not nowhere near as bad as it might have been or as it appeared to be when we started this pandemic I think. And when you're talking to potential uh, owners and developers about future projects, has the pandemic made the lock model with its self-contained units uh, more or less attractive to them? Um, well, definitely more. I mean, we're predominantly an owned model, right? So we're usually the owner and the developer, um, but we still consider some leases and management contracts. So the partners we've been dealing with there I mean, you see some understandable caution right now that there's a lot of short-term uncertainty. Um, but, you know, most of the, the bigger players uh, in the industry, um, both on the sort of development and operation side and the financing side, have got a relatively long horizon. So there's a lot of optimism still about the fundamentals of the business, particularly, as I say, with regards to extended stay, right? So we've seen, it's always been a nascent sector, as you know, and my view coming into this business was it was, you know, hugely under-regarded and there was a great deal of opportunity to sort of widen the understanding and the appeal because it's still, but for many people, particularly individual travellers, it's a kind of niche offering. Um, but those who understand the sort of dynamics and the economics of the various hospitality models, I mean, it's abundantly clear now that if you're a full-service, short-term transient hotel that depends on uh, like corporate groups and meetings, that's just about the worst place you can be. And so, you know, the apart hotel model turns all of that on its head. And, and you know, I think the appeal of self-contained departments for those who are maybe, you know, who have to travel but are a bit more cautious about it, you know, is really compelling. But if you twin that with the ability um, to still congregate to beautiful common spaces, vibrant F&B and a sort of wellness and cultural program. It's the best of both worlds, but the ability to sort of choose between the two, depending on your own risk appetite, you know, makes our sort of model like super attractive. It's just a case, I think, of getting the words out there and making sure people understand the options that are available to them. Um, so, you know, I'm still as more positive, I think, than I've ever been before. And we've seen the appeal of um, extended stay service departments and apart hotels during the pandemic, um, where in most cases they performed a lot better than traditional hotels, most of which were closed. Right. So, yeah, I think it's, it's helped to shine a light on a sector that I think has always been you know, struggling to get out of the shadows a little bit. 
yeah yeah the the lot the first few um lock properties had a very recognizable style and design you know you could they, they uh they had a, a very linked um look but you've moved on to using new designers for um Berman's lock i believe what um how do you see the design aesthetic of, of the brand evolving over the next few years well, it is. I mean, that's the key word. It's been an evolution. I mean, um, Matt Grzynski, um, who designed our first three locks from Grzynski and Pond, an absolute genius. And his aesthetic is you know, very distinctive, very recognisable. Uh, and we love Matt. We continue to work with him. But what's always been important for us with lock is um, to maintain differentiation across our portfolios. So for me, you know, when we think about the scale of our growth ambition, the biggest challenge is that, in my mind, you know, scale is sort of the enemy of distinctiveness. So as you get bigger, as you open more and more properties, the tendency is to introduce sort of repeatable processes, repeatable partnerships. Um, because you've done it before, you know how it works and it's reliable. And that's sort of convenient and it can be very efficient. The problem with design is you end up with a very samey look. And we're almost quite comfortable if we have, you know, lock loyalists who like some of our properties, but not others. Um, because the, the idea really for us is to make sure that lock is an expression of the neighborhood in which it's located. And that doesn't mean, you know, just sticking a black and white photograph of Tower Bridge in the wall if you're in Bermondsey, for example. It means, uh, you know, letting designers really run free and, and express their perspective in the local area through the way they design the tell. So, so you know, we've been assembling like a world-class panel of designers for our upcoming projects. So Holloway Lee, Red Deer, Tank, Avrico, Studio Tack, for example. Um, you know, very, very capable, highly distinctive designs. And, you know, I think Locke has a theme for sure, um, but it, it, it should be the case that every lock you stay at feels and looks different and suggests something about where you're staying. So you have that kind of sense of place to use a bit of a cliche. Moving on to the Seiko portfolio, the more traditional service department um, element of the business, which which has mainly had a, a corporate customer base. How, how has that performed so far during the pandemic? Well, sort of, I mean, the pandemic's been frightening and fascinating in equal measures, and it certainly taught us a lot about the business model. You know, Seiko has performed way beyond our expectations. I have to say, most of our properties remained open throughout the lockdown, either for key workers or for guests who had no other abodes and um, it's been something of a revelation actually because we've seen that shift towards leisure that we weren't necessarily expecting but there's still been some quite resilient corporate demand you know I think not everybody has had the luxury of choice about whether they travel or not during these times so you know Seiko's performed really really well and um, you know we we've sort of thought quite long and hard because to be honest with you when I started in the business our strategy for Seiko was more of sustain and maintain um, while we focused mostly on the growth of lock and there were a number of sort of economic and business model reasons for that but most of those have changed now so so we've had very different view um, on the future of Seiko. So you have plans to add more inventory to the brand do you? Yeah I mean more than that really we have we're sort of in the process of building a fairly fundamental transformation plan for the brand. It's a bit early to say too much about it, but it will involve 
brand re rejuvenation and you know really significant growth. So as I think you might know, we've brought in Stephen Hag, formerly of Sonder, um, as managing director of Seiko, and his brief really is to take that brand to the next level, to build it out, develop it, not just across the UK, but into Western Europe as well. So, you know, we're really excited about that. More plans to come and we've developed them, but um, a lot of work um, underway. I think that the future for Seiko for that brand is bright. Okay. Um, we've seen recently that some of the, well, a couple of the, the main agent operator hybrids have uh, kind of split the two um, disciplines and, and gone in different directions. So Oakwood has sold its agency arm and Bridge Street has scaled down on its uh, branded operated properties. D do you think that model is on its way out and could Seiko follow suit one way or the other? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it really it's situational, depends on, on the individual circumstances. I think, you know, the, the, the two models are very different. Being an operator, owner operator and an agent at the same time, you know, it, requires you know, a very broad range of different skill sets. The agency model is fundamentally distribution, as you know, and, yeah, and that's, a, that's a changing business and requires quite a different focus. So it's pretty understandable, I think, that you see divergence. It's a bit like the old hospitality companies in the old days, you know, moving properties out, going to asset light, and then going from asset light to focus on brand franchising. And you know, someone described um, IHG the other day is not a hotel company but a revenue platform and you can see how that evolution happens over time because it's a matter of specialization you know for us we have a, an agency and partner network which you know has been very useful for us I think in you know plugging in gaps in distribution and we've got no immediate plans to change that but our focus you know has always and will be for the future on building out um uh, and operating our properties. So, you know, that's kind of our main thing. I can understand why Bridge Street and Oakwood have done what they've done. It makes sort of strategic sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, several years ago, Stephen Hansen said he saw the potential for uh, numerous brands under the Seiko umbrella. Is that still true for Eden? And, and would you consider a move into new markets such as co-living or youth travel? Uh, I mean, I would never rule it out. What I would say, you know, in addition to, you know, our plans for Seiko is that you know, Locke is performing well for us. We see real appetite in the market. Um, our guest satisfaction scores online and through our own systems are, you know, top quartile at least, if not much better than that. So it's clearly got a lot of traction. We're nowhere near being in all the markets that we want to be in yet across Western Europe. Um, and so before I start to complicate and confuse matters by bringing in new business model extensions and extra brands, we'd like to push both Locke and Seiko further. Um, I think co-living uh, has some dynamics that are still very early um, in their evolution and there's quite a clear price ceiling on it. In many cases, it's an entry-level proposition. Um, and quite, you know, it sounds like the same as a part of Tells, but it's really quite a different model. So I, I don't have any plans to move into that area, you know, in the short term. But it's a very fast evolving sector just now, particularly with the influence of, you know, COVID and the changes we've seen and can expect, I think, over the next year or two. 
to the way that people work, travel, and live. So, you know, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't rule anything out. I think we've got enough on our plate right now, and we're quite happy uh, with the brands we've got in our stable as fuel for growth. So, nothing immediate, but I will remain sort of open minded about it as the sector continues to evolve. Great stuff. Watch this space then, Stephen. Thanks. Yeah, that's the short answer. That would have been a, an easier way to say it, I think. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks very much, Stephen. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Service Department News podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with all the latest industry news, head over to servicedepartmentnews.com and sign up to our twice-weekly newsletter. Service Department News is part of the International Hospitality Media Portfolio. This November, IHM is launching the Urban Living Festival in London, welcoming urban innovators and investors at the cutting edge of contemporary hospitality and real estate. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to reconnect with your peers and investors face-to-face while helping to define where we stay, live and work. For more details, visit urbanlivingfestival.com.